0: just like to welcome those joining us for our live stream. You can come down and be part of the whole service on Sunday mornings at 11 here at Chelsea Community Church, or you can drop us an email and join us via Zoom. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at three places today. Uh, First of all, Mark chapter 13, then John chapter 15, and then finally Ephesians chapter 2. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that we can trust it. Thank you it's true. And I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak into our hearts by your word today. And let your spirit rest on me to bring your word to your people through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. In, uh, in Mark chapter 13, we pick up with the verse 32 at the end. But concerning that day or the hour, that's when Jesus comes back, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Then, Jesus in John chapter 15, we'll start with verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And finally, in Ephesians chapter 2, again there at the end, starting with verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Well, Karen and I dated for quite a number of years before we got married. And, uh, and I, I knew the day when we were going to get married it was actually several years before we got married. But, uh, on that day I'd been preaching and, uh, and the Lord just really hit me. Everybody in the church came up to me afterwards and said, you really need to go into the ministry. And, uh, and God had told me a few years earlier that that's what he wanted me to do, but I wasn't listening, you know? I was trying, thinking of other things to do. And so I went to her that, uh, uh, so I finally said, okay, God, this is what I'm gonna do. And we were dating at the time, and so we got together that afternoon and I said, Karen, how would you feel uh, about being married to a pastor or a minister? And she said, well, you know, I felt, for years, I felt called to be a, a pastor's wife. And even though we were up and down after that and things, I knew that that was the moment that we would probably get married. And I knew in that moment, you know, that you know, as a minister's wife, anybody who's been in that role, you know that there's really no separation. I mean, the two become one flesh. And so throughout, uh, <clears throat> throughout our marriage, we've worked together, we've ministered together. Uh, I might be the boss, but she's married to the boss, and uh, and and we're a team. You know, we've always been that way, and you know that's very biblical, because in Bible times, uh, the wife really was a partner for her husband. Now there, there wasn't there there's a lot of misunderstandings, uh, you know, mostly around cultural kinds of issues, but. Uh, the women were called to be partners together with their husbands. Although the husband might be considered the leader of the family, they would cooperate with one another, and the husband would depend on his bride to promote his interests and to help him do business. Now, if you wonder about that, just look at Proverbs chapter 31, and you have the Proverbs 31 woman you know, that her children rise up and call her blessed and and so many things. And it just shows you the model that was in operation. Not always perfectly, but it was there and it was understood by many people. And so when we talk about the church as the bride of Christ, we've been talking about here comes the bride these last several weeks. When we talk about the church as the bride of Christ, We're talking about the church as a partner with Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is in control. He's the one who's in charge. He is the leader. But at the same time, by creating the church as the bride, God has created a helper, a helpmeet suitable for Jesus which is an extraordinary thing to think that we together are a helper suitable to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, but he works with us, he works in us, and he works through us to promote his interests, and he has given us authority to act on his behalf. We have authority, just like Karen has authority to act on my behalf, we have authority to act on Jesus' behalf, as the body of Christ, as the church. Now, the other thing about Karen, uh, you know Karen, Karen's not only a partner in ministry, but also uh, Karen sustains our household. I mean, frankly, if it wasn't for Karen, I'd be eating breakfast cereal three times a day. Or, you know, occasionally the takeout pizza. You know, she says, Karen tells me that I need to have a couple of meals that I should be able to do myself. So I can, I can do pizza from another company that brings in, or I can do Indian quite well uh, from a shop around the corner, uh, so I can do several meals uh, very good. You know, and, and Karen really is the one that kind of holds the household together. She uh, kind of makes the household and keeps it working, keeps it functioning. Uh, and anybody who lives with us is part of that household. We don't have lodgers that live with us. We've had a lot of people Live with us over the last 22 years, but none of them have been lodgers. We don't let them be. That means that they all have chores that they have to do. And sometimes they like their chores, and sometimes they don't. You know, you might be someone is in, in her first job that comes home at night exhausted from working hard, and uh, but then there's still dishes to be done. You know, and, it, and, and I have no pity whatsoever on those people. You know, no pity at all. It's, it's just part of the thing. If you're a household, you have responsibilities in the household. And you got to go to church with us. That's important. You got your chores. You got to live for Jesus when you're outside the house. I mean, these are just fundamental, basic expectations that we have for our household. And in the Bible you also see the bride and the groom, they work together to build what's called a household. They create a household. And the bride was the key player developing and maintaining the household. Again, you can see that in Proverbs 31, with the Proverbs 31 woman. And the household was the seat of family life, but it also, for most people, was the seat of family business. Many people, if they had a business, they operated that business out of their household. They didn't go to the office. It was part of their household, part of their household functioning. And the people that were part of that household would have included the family members. It would have included the children, the extended family, but also the servants, the employees, their families, and their children. And so everybody was part of that household. And you see that in places like in the book of Acts, in Cornelius's house, where he becomes a Christian, but everybody becomes a Christian. because you as a household, you work together, you move together. You got saved together. Happened as well with the Philippian jailer. Oh, and that's how households functioned. And it was essential uh, for the survival of the family and for the well-being of society, that you had well functioning households across the land. And in the same way, Jesus works together with his bride to create and build up the household of God. And that's where we start to mix our metaphors a little bit because we're the bride, but we're also the household of God. But we're also the body of Christ. I mean, so there's a lot of metaphors that refer to us but as the bride of christ we work with jesus christ to build and develop the household of god and the household of god is essential for a healthy church and having a household of god is essential for the church to have an impact in the world a church that is not the household of god will have very limited impact especially today, and especially going into the future. Into the future, churches are going to have to build up themselves as the household of God, with Jesus and the bride cooperating together. And all genuine Christians become part of the household of God. You cannot be a Christian without being part of God's household. I was talking with somebody just a week or so ago. And this person is saying, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't really go to church. I don't do this. And I said, well, I don't know. You really should question whether or not you're a Christian. Because all genuine Christians are part of the household. It's an important thing. And it's an important thing that we create a healthy household of God. And just like in a normal household, just like in our household, As Christians, we all have responsibilities in the household of God. And we need to fulfill, we need to discover and fulfill our responsibilities with excellence and with diligence. We need to do it well, and we need to keep on doing it. You know, just like, you know, uh, every day we got to feed ourselves, right? Or almost every day, unless we're fasting. You know, there are certain responsibilities that we do every single day in our households in the same way there are certain responsibilities we do in the household of God and we just do them and we keep on doing them because if we don't fulfill our responsibilities, our household cannot be healthy. And if we don't have a healthy household, it's not good for us and it's not good for the people around us. And that's how it works. So we need to take initiative to do what we're supposed to do not waiting to be asked, not waiting to be begged, but just get in there and do what God calls us to do. So we need to understand a few things. You know, first of all, as Christians, we have responsibilities in the household of God as both sons and servants. As Christians, we are sons and servants. And And those of you who've hung around for a while, you know that when I talk about us being sons of God, that means men and women. The Bible says that. Women, I'm sorry, uh, you're sons of God. And frankly, if I can be the bride of Christ, you can be a son, right? Because, you know, it's that white wedding dress that I have struggles with. So anyway, and the reason is that sons... In the culture of the time, sons were the ones who got the inheritance. Sons engaged in the business. It wasn't a devaluing of women, but what happened was when women grew up, they got married and they went to form another household. The sons were staying in the household and continuing the household, so when they got married, they brought their wives into the household. So all of us as Christians are sons of God. That means that women have equal standing with men in the household of God. You know, that's, that's the key thing. That's the key takeaway there, which hopefully should make everybody happy, uh, including us guys, but uh, we have equal standing in the household of God. And so in a household, sons and servants would work together to maintain the household as well as to promote and grow the family business. So the sons and the servants were cooperating. But the difference with us, we are sons and servants at the same time. Just like Jesus. We're in the model of Jesus as a son. He said, who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So we are sons of God, we are children of God, but we are also servants of God. And servants, as servants, we are servants in the model of bond slaves in the Bible. Now, that doesn't sound very good because none of us like the language of slavery. And frankly, we're not talking about the language of slavery over the past several hundred years. This is a completely different dynamic Uh, And so it's a struggle, but it's also a struggle to translate some of the words without going back to their basic meanings. And what you find in the Bible, there are three levels of servanthood. And we talk about servanthood leadership a lot, and that's really what we're talking about here. And there's three levels of servanthood. The, The basic level of servanthood is where you serve because you get a reward. So if you do your job because you get paid, you're at that basic level of servanthood. If you say, well, I would do this job whether or not I was paid, then that's something else, Okay. Now, the thing to keep in mind, though, is reward is not always money. There are some people who are serving God because other people say, oh, wow, you're such a great person. I know a lot of pastors who are serving God because it makes them feel significant, or it makes them feel secure, or it makes them feel accepted somehow. And if you're doing it for that reason, you're just at that surface level of servanthood, okay? But there's nothing wrong with that level of servanthood. However, that's not the bond slave level. We need to keep going down. The next level down is what we'd call the slave level of servanthood. And by slave, I mean, this is where you're serving because you're obliged to do so. You're serving out of obligation. So sometimes, frankly, you know, as parents, what do you do? And sometimes, oh, I don't wanna change that nappy. Well, I don't wanna change that nappy. Who's gonna change the nappy? Well, I guess one of us has to change the nappy. I mean, that's, that's serving out of obligation. It's not because, oh, the poo-poo, it's such a great reward. I just love that smell in our house. No, you don't do it for that, right? It's not for a reward. You do it because you need to do it. It's got to be done. And there's a lot of people who serve God because it has to be done. Or they serve Jesus because of all Jesus has done for them. And that's a good reason to serve. It's a deeper level of servanthood than just serving because you get a reward. But then there's a third one. And this is the bond slave level of servanthood. And if you ever want to look it up, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. And what happened with the bond slave? Bond slaves serve out of love. So in the Old Testament, if you served a family and you discharged your debt to that family, but you said, you know, I love you people so much, I want to continue in your household serving the family. Then the family would say, yes, that sounds great. And you'd put your earlobe next to the door, the doorpost, and then they would poke a hole in your earlobe and you'd put a ring there. And that indicated that you were a bond slave, that you had chosen to serve out of love for life. And that's the deepest level of servanthood. And so in that passage from Mark chapter 13 that we were reading, when it says servants, and frankly, unfortunately, in English, we don't often make the distinction in the words, even though there is a distinction, uh, uh, that word that Jesus uses there for servants is actually the word for bond slaves. Doulos. And so he's saying, he's talking about the bond slaves that are in the household. And he says in that passage we read, what he says is that the bond slaves have authority to do their work. Bond slaves have authority in the house of God because God trusts them. They're serving out of love. They're not serving because they're obliged to do so. They're not serving because of the reward of serving. They're serving simply because they love to serve. They're the ones that receive the the authority. But pursuing that deepest level of servanthood, pursuing that deepest level of servanthood is the key for real joy and delight in serving. It's also the key for perseverance. Perseverance. So as Christians in the household of God, we serve, we're called to serve as sons and as bond slaves, that deepest level of servanthood. And as Christians, we each have responsibilities for household chores. So we serve as sons slash servants, servants who are sons, sons who are servants, and we serve in our household chores. Now, the household chores are the things that we do to take care of the practical needs of the family. And they're absolutely essential for the effectiveness of the household. Somebody has to cook. Somebody has to clean. These things are important. They're not secondary. They're absolutely essential. And if somebody fails to do these things, the household quickly begins to fall apart. Now, some people in God's household just seem to have a knack to do the chores. I mean, they love to do it. They enjoy doing it. They just get tucked in there and just do it. Uh, and, uh, And it just, you know, it doesn't seem to be a burden for them at all. But everybody has chores. Just like in our family, everybody has chores, including me. Everybody has chores as servants in the household of God. Everyone, whether or not it's your knack or not, you have chores that you need to do. Now, how do you know what to do? Well, I've got four rules regarding household chores. Four rules. First one, look for what needs to be done and then do it. If you walk in the hallway and you see a piece of paper on the floor, you don't say... To somebody else can you come and pick this up for me you pick it up and you put it in the bin you know it's simple that's chores 101 look for what needs to be done and then do it just jump in there and do it uh and if you can't see what needs to be done because i couldn't do that as a kid i never saw what my mom wanted me to do okay so if you can't see what needs to be done second rule is look for others doing chores and help them I can guarantee you after lunch this afternoon that uh, there'll be a team in the kitchen that will be happy to tell you what to do. So just find people who are doing it and say, what can I do? What can I help? Then, if you still can't get it, ask what needs to be done and then do it. But that's a dangerous thing because when you ask what needs to be done, somebody might tell you to do something you don't want to do. So, so it's better to look for what needs to be done and get doing it or to help somebody who's already doing it than to ask somebody because I tell you, if you ask me, I'll give you the thing that I don't really want to do. <laughs> you know, that's just, you know, I've got a gift in that. I've got a gift in that. So, uh, and the fourth rule of chores, don't leave until the job's done. You know, if you're washing dishes, don't wash two dishes and say, Oh, I'm tired. Okay, somebody else take over. I'm going to go take a break for a few hours. You stay in there. You keep doing the job until it's all done or until somebody forces you to go away. Well, when I first came to City Temple, when we started doing dishes, I would jump in there. And we had a a guy named Richard who was working for us at the time. And I was in there, and I was just doing dishes. And Richard came, and he literally just grabbed hold of me and pushed me out of the way, said, Rod, You should not be doing this. I'm going to do this. So if somebody does that to you, okay, you can do that. But, uh, you know, just get in there and do it because household chores ultimately are about serving one another in love. It's what Jesus was talking about. Love one another. It's what Paul says. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. It's about using your resources, your time, your energy, your, your money, whatever it is, to benefit others. Using your spiritual gifts or your talents, your abilities to help out others. And frankly, we need to grow up and take responsibility for our chores. If you act like a baby, then don't be surprised if you're treated like a baby. And many times over the years, I've had people that get really frustrated And I'm talking about older people who get really frustrated, you know, because like, I I don't get any respect. I don't, you know, you got to treat me a certain way. And I'm like, well, you know, get in there and help. Don't sit around. You know, only babies are excused, right? Wouldn't make a baby, wouldn't make Jane wash the dishes. You just don't do that kind of thing. So we all must do our chores, especially when we get together no one is exempt unless, of course, you're unwell or un- infirm or, or disabled in some way or too elderly to do something, then okay, we'll help out. But we need to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works and keep meeting together, not neglecting, as some do, and especially more as we see the day approaching. So we have responsibility as son servants. To do our chores in the household of God, but also as Christians, we have responsibilities as son servants for a house for the household business. Everybody's involved with chores. Everybody has responsibilities for business, like in Luke chapter nineteen, Jesus told a parable, said, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, uh, that's some money, and said to them, engage in business until I come. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Or like Jesus said in the passage we read today, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his bond slaves, his servants, in authority. It's literally what that means there each person with his work we each have a responsibility and jesus has given us authority to do his business the business involves what happens in this building but it goes beyond what happens to this building and what happens in the world around us you know it's like something like a marks and spencer kind of thing you know marks and spencer has a flagship store and it does some business there, but it also does business online. It does business in communities all around, the, all around the nation, other places in the world. And that's the same way that the church works, the household of God. We do business in this outlet, but there's also other places wherever we go that we're doing the business of God. And this business is vast. It's considerable. I couldn't even begin to summarize all of it because it's very, very diverse in what God does, but it includes things like bringing glory to God in everything we do, including your work. The stuff you do Monday to Friday, you bring glory to God. Fulfill the two great commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everywhere you are, that's part of the business. Fulfill the great commission go into all the world and make disciples. That's part of God's household business. We build up the church. We make it stronger. That's part of God's household business. Do the things that God prepared for you to do. It's like Paul says late uh, there in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, in them. God has already prepared something for you to do. It might be raising your children. It might be your job right now. It might be the person you're going to encounter tomorrow who needs you. God has prepared all kinds of good works for you to do in your home, in the community, and in beyond. And all he wants us to do is just walk in them. Just live for Jesus, and you'll naturally do the things he's prepared for you. And again, that includes your job in the the workplace. Each person's assignment is different. Some are more difficult than others. Some are more rewarding than others. It's your job. It's your parenting. It's your schooling of whatever you're doing, wherever you are. God has prepared assignments for you as part of his family business, and you simply need to walk into it. Just accept your responsibility. Because as we all do the family business, as we're all engaged in the family business, God's household extends God's kingdom all around the world. And he does that as you interact with people at work. He does that as you interact with people on the streets. Everywhere we go outside this building, we go as ambassadors of God, part of God's household. And that's our call. So as Christians, we are sons and servants. As Christians, as sons and servants, we have our chores to do in the household of God. And as sons and servants, we have our role to play in God's business. And as we do those things with excellence and diligence, God works through us to take care of everything else. And we do that not as a whole, but as part of a whole. We do that as part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and the household of God. You know, for much of my life, I've lived in a world that really did my job as a minister for me, at least the early part of my life. I mean, schools, even here in the UK, you know, think 30, 40, 50 years ago, schools had religious education in it. They were telling people the basics of the faith. In the US, we didn't have RE per se, but schools were founded and operated on a lot of biblical values they were educating children into christian values governments they supported churches not in the sense of giving money to them but in the sense of helping them wanting them to thrive the laws of the land they promoted biblical ethics and biblical behaviors you looked at businesses businesses whether they own, were owned by christians or not businesses tried to operate with christian principles Principles like honesty and fairness. They were part of the fabric of society. A businessman who was not honest, a businessman who cannot say my word is my bond, wouldn't be in business very long. Back a long time ago. Our culture assumed, I remember this in the States, culture kind of assumed that everybody was either a Christian or a pre-Christian. You know, if they weren't a Christian, given enough time, surrounded by our system, they'll become a Christian. You know, they'll surrender their lives to Jesus eventually. Doesn't matter if they're Jewish or Muslim or atheist, whatever. They'll become a Christian eventually because that's the way society works. But the world doesn't work that way. That kind of world doesn't exist anymore if it ever did in the first place. And because of that, As the bride of Christ, we have a responsibility to follow Jesus so that we establish and build up the household of God. Because it's only with healthy households of God all throughout the city and all around the land that the kingdom of God will go forth, that God's loving rulership will extend into people's lives, that we'll be able to make disciples of people from all nations. And we have to understand that this building up the household of God is for the well-being of society. It's for the well-being of all people. Because if a society is operating by Christian values, everybody benefits. If there are households of God in a society, everybody, even those non-Christians, will benefit from those households. So as individual Christians... We participate in that responsibility (laughs) by doing our chores and performing our roles in the family business with excellence to the glory of God. And we need to remember, God has given us, God has given you everything you need as a son and a servant to do your chores and to fulfill your role in the family business. By the cross of Jesus, we are forgiven and set free from the power of sin. We have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has lavished his grace on us even when we mess up. Jesus has given us his authority, especially over all the power of the demonic. God has filled us with his Holy Spirit. We have faith to know that what we do, even if it seems small, makes a big difference because we're all connected. We're all important in God's household and for the extension of God's kingdom. So we each have our work to do. So let us stay awake and fulfill our chores and our role in the family business for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. And in this moment, I just encourage you. I'm going to pray. But I encourage you just to ask the Lord, Lord, show me what chores I should be doing. Show me what my role is in the family business. Give me a glimpse of it. And he might only show you a glimpse, but walk in what he shows you, and he'll keep showing you more. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you, we worship you, we adore you, and we thank you. Thank you for your presence here with us. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak into our hearts and our minds. Show us if there's any chores that we're supposed to be doing that we're not. And show us, Lord, what our role is in the family business what you called us to do, maybe inside the building, but certainly beyond the building. Give us a glimpse, Lord. Show us the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do so that we can walk into them and do them with excellence and diligence to the glory of God in Jesus. And Father, I pray right now that you'd bless this bread and this cup so that they might be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this bread and this cup. I thank you that as we share the bread and the cup, we do so as the bride of Christ. We do so as the household of God. We do so belonging to Jesus and belonging to one another. And as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, I pray that you'd open up that reality to us. And not only this reality around us now, but even the great heavenly reality where all the hosts of heaven and all the saints are going that have gone before us sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. We love you and we worship you. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you for joining us here at the table as the groom, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King. We love you, and we worship you, and we adore you. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.